again, uh, let me have my welcome. Um, if you joined us through the service, it's great to have you. And let's pray um, as we look at these, these foundational words from the Bible. Father, we do too feel as we look at these words that we are standing on holy ground. As we consider who you are, that your name such big and foundational and important things. Please help us to, to understand. Please reveal yourself to us as you did to Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't believe in God. I wonder whether you've been told that. In fact, I, I imagine that at some stage in your life you have been told that. It's a question, that uh, I, an answer that, that I've heard quite regularly. The question that I often want to ask them, and indeed sometimes I have asked them, is, well, what is the God that you don't believe in? Because most of the time, I would agree with them. I, too, don't believe in the God that they have in their minds. People have all kinds of ideas about who God is. And I say, I, I don't agree with most of them either. Sadly, too often, people have absolutely no idea who God is. Others may say things like, I like to think of God as, I like to think that God is, to me God is, yeah, okay, but, but how does that work when my view of God and your God, view of God differ? Well, what do we do then? And do we have the freedom to define God as we want to? The Bible would argue strongly that we don't. And actually, as Christians too, uh, uh, an, an inadequate view of God is behind so many of the problems that we face. An inadequate understanding of God's sovereignty can result in fear and anxiety or, or a desperately striving and inevitably failing to try and control every aspect of our lives. An inadequate view of God's holiness can lead to a complacent attitude towards sin. An inadequate view of God's grace can cause us to wallow in guilt and shame. And so many other ways too. There can be no more fundamental question than this, is who is God? And that is a vital question for us, whether you've been a Christian for decades and know him well, or whether it is you're exploring Christian things and you're aware that actually you have no real idea of who God is. And today's, today's passage contains one of the most profound answers to that question, who is God? Exodus chapter 1 and 2 has really served as an introduction to the book. It tells us how God's chosen people are growing from a family into a nation. And then it sets the scene for the bitterness that God's people were facing. That hard labor and oppression, slavery, and the fear of the, the baby boys being killed. But it also, chapters 1 and 2, prepares us for the rescue as God, as we saw last week, begins to raise up his rescuer. And well, in chapter 3, the, the book proper starts as God kicks off his rescue plan. So Moses, who was saved last week by, by the Lord, um, he's 
Uh, remember, he's had to flee to Midian. And God has been preparing him. He prepared Moses first by having 40 years spent in a palace in the royal households. And now he's preparing him as Moses spends 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. And chapter 3 begins with a day in the life of Moses, a day much like any other of the last four decades. But it is about to take a strange turn. Because Moses is, is tending to his flock on what's called, in verse 1, Horeb, the mountain of God. We know it perhaps better by its name that we find later in the book, Sinai. He's on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Sinai. And see what he sees, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Understandably, verse 3, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. This is not a sight you see every day. A bush on fire, flames, and yet it is not being burned up. Just quickly to clear up, um, you see in verse 2, um, we see this is the angel of the Lord. That's a description that comes 58 times uh, through the Old Testament. Uh, and it's very clear in a lot of them that um, what it has in mind is this is God um, himself making himself known. And that is very clear from these verses. You, you just look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God said to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And in verse 5, Moses is aware that he's on holy, uh, God tells him on holy grounds. Verse 6, Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. But here is the Lord making himself known at a flame on a fire in a bush which is not being burned up. Now, through the Bible, God's presence is frequently marked out by fire or by smoke. And here again, you go, here is the Lord, making himself known. And he's doing so in, in this miraculous way. God is not constrained by the laws of nature that he created. You know, the clearest way, in fact, that he can, the clearest way he can reveal himself to this world is actually to, to show that he doesn't fit with the categories that we're used to. Here is God revealing himself to Moses. We're going to see three things. You see them on your sheet there. Three things that God reveals about himself. Three things we are to know about who God is. First off, he is the rescuing God. Sorry, just on your sheet. It's not on the screen today. He's the rescuing God. So God now tells Moses what we, as readers, already know. Um, you remember from the end of chapter 2, we saw those wonderful things that God um, was aware of the Israelites' suffering. We find that language picked up again here as the Lord speaks to Moses. Verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. He's seen, he's heard, he knows. But here's now the development as things start. Verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians 
to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Here he is. And again, I don't know if you noticed, just through those first couple of verses, the repetition of I, I, I. The Lord himself is stepping into the picture and he is going to come down. He's going to take personal action. And his plan is to rescue his people. And it's a twofold plan. Again, did you, did you notice that? He said, look, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The first part of the plan is to rescue them from slavery, to set them free, to deliver them. There's a second part. It's not just bring them out, but it's bring them out and bring them in. He's going to bring them into the promised land, the land that is currently occupied by all those nations, but the land which God promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He's going to bring them out and then bring them in. What a rescue. And to an even fuller degree, isn't it? That's exactly what God has done for us, for Christians too. You can imagine Jesus saying, verse 8, just with a few changes, can't you? You can imagine Jesus saying, I have come down to deliver people out of the hands of slavery to sin. To redeem them from the penalty and power of sin. And to bring them into the the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the the heavenly uh, heaven and the new Jerusalem. This is the rescue. The rescue that God did for God's people back then, out of slavery, into the promised land. It's the rescue that he's done through the Lord Jesus, out of slavery, into the promised land that we look forward to. And this is fundamental aspect aspect of who God is. He is the rescuing God. He's the God who loves his people, who's committed to them, who's faithful to his promises, and brings complete rescue. Not part job, not half it, the whole thing. God is the rescuing God. And you can imagine, but at the end of verse 9, Moses must be really excited. Do you not think? The Lord has seen our suffering, he's heard our cries, he knows what's going on. The Lord himself is going to come down and rescue us. This is amazing. But he's in for a bit of a shock. Verse 10. Come. The Lord's still speaking. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh. I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I've come to deliver you, says God, And I'm going to do it by sending you. I'm going to send you that you may bring my people out. And Moses isn't too sure about this part of the plan. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? You can imagine his thought process, can't you? Right, so I'm to go to the most powerful man on the planet and tell him that he's to let his two million slaves go. Hmm. Who am I to do that? How could I possibly do that? Now we're going to look at this and Moses' four other objections more next week. Okay, we're going to deal with that more next time. 
But very briefly, let's just see God's response. Verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God says in effect to Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I am with you. And he gives this sign. It's a little bit of a strange sign. I don't know if you thought noticed that. See, in chapter 4, Moses is going to be given more signs to prove to the people that he really is speaking for God. You know, he's going to get his staff, he's going to throw it on the ground, it's going to turn to a snake. The people would see that and go, oh yeah, the Lord's with him. Okay. We, we get that, don't you? The sign comes, you believe it, and then you do it. This sign is different. This sign, well, actually, it requires trust. The sign is so that after everything has happened, Moses will go, oh yeah, God promised this. At the time, he has to trust God at his word that God is the one who's going to do all this. The fact that God is saying it is enough to be sure that it will happen. But Moses still isn't convinced, verse 13. So Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, you can imagine Moses' thought process. You know, go to the people who, about 40 years ago, when you tried to intervene, you tried to rescue them, they said, well, who made you prince and ruler over us? So go to those people, and they're going to believe me? They're going to trust me? No, no, so he, he's saying, look, what, who, should I, what, who should I say sent me? And again, it's fair enough. You know, if he goes, goes back and says, you know, guys, I was in Midian, and I was talking to God in a bush, he wants a name so here's the question God what is your name but of course it's more than simply a name because in the Bible names carry significance a name tells you about a person who they are so we've seen two names in in chapter 2 so firstly um, in chapter 2, verse 10, we find Moses being named. And we saw there, he was called Moses because I drew him out of the water. He, Moses, was drawn out of the water. And in fact, it's maybe a reference to what he's going to do to bring his people through the water too. So his name, Moses, tells us about him. Then Moses' son, in verse 22, is called Gershom because Moses has been a sojourner in a foreign land. So it's not just who you, what's your, your label as we use names today. I'm saying, look, who are you? What is your name? And here's God's response. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We know this is a hugely significant moment. But if we're honest, we're probably left a little bit bewildered. So let's think about this for a moment. I am who I am. I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word today. Okay? We're going to learn a bit of Hebrew together. Again, apologies if anyone actually 
is, is good at ancient Hebrew and my pronunciation and all that. But I can teach you some Hebrew. When, even as a ministry trained here, is learning some Greek and Hebrew, you know, with vocab, the way you do it is you try and you'd, you have the word and you try and find of something to help you remember it. So uh, this series, right, uh, Know Your God, the word, Hebrew word for know is yada, or yada, yada. So I'm like, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yada, yada, yada. That's how I remember it. Anyway, you're going to remember this word. The, the, the verb is to be. And it is haya. Haya, haya. I am, I'm alive, I exist. Yeah, haya. That, that's how I kind of remember it. But you're going to remember it now, okay? I am who I am is, comes from the verb haya. It, it's said so different because it's I am not to be, but you get it. It's haya. And, and God is saying, I am haya. I am who I, who I am. Now, it's a difficult translation. It could be I am, it could be I was, it could be I will be. It can mean all of those things. Most translators go for, English translators go for I am. I think probably sounds about right. The Septuagint, the the Greek translation of the Hebrew, translates it as I am. But what does it mean? To be, I am. God is saying that he is the self-defining and incomparable God. He's saying that he is the self-existent, transcendent, independent God of the universe. I am. Now that's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? Let's just give a couple of frames of references. Right now, I can say I am. 40 years ago, I couldn't have said that. And in 40... 60 years' time, I won't be able to say that. I can say it now, but God has always been able to say, I am, um, even before the creation of the world in the time as we know it. He is, I am. Or we can think of some of the other names by which God has known, been made known in Genesis, the book before this. He is the God Most High. He is God Almighty. He is God who sees me. But you see how they only describe certain aspects of God's. Huge aspects, wonderful aspects, but only aspects. I am. God says he is all of those things. You know how if if we're trying to describe, if I'm trying to describe someone to you um, and uh, or someone, someone or something and you're not quite getting it, I say, ah, oh, uh, he, he, he's like so-and-so. I'm comparing them to someone else or some, something to something else. You can't do that with God. He is, I am. And this is what Moses is to say to the people. When they ask, who sent you? I am has sent me to you. And of course, in their context, that's a significant thing because that differentiates God from all of the other gods. He's not one of the, one of the Egyptian gods. He's not one of the Canaanite gods. He's not some tribal de- deity of just some people or some area. He's not one of those things who is to be appeased or could be controlled and manipulated. No, God is, I am. The Lord is, I am. Transcendent, independent God of all. Finally on your sheets there, you see 
He is Yahweh. Verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You'll see there, um, the Lord, you'd say, the Lord has sent me. And you'll see from the footnotes, um, when we read the word Lord in capital letters in the Old Old Testaments, um, it's the word for Yahweh. Now, most English translations don't say Yahweh, they say the Lord. There are a couple of reasons, well, quite a few reasons. There are two main reasons. Um, Firstly, centuries after Exodus happened, God's people... um, whether it was kind of superstitious or whether it was genuinely out of fear and reverence, they, um, when they came to the word Yahweh in their scrolls, they didn't want to say God's name. And so they said Adonai, which is the word Lord, the other word for Lord in Hebrew. And then secondly, the, the Septuagint, as I mentioned, the Greek translation translates the word um, Yahweh as kurios, which is the Greek word for Lord. And that helps us, doesn't it? Because when we read that Jesus is Lord, saying who he is. But which is it? Is his name I am, or is his name Yahweh? Because I am only comes in a handful of places, whereas Yahweh, the Lord, comes nearly 7,000 times. But notice how these two names come in parallel statements. Just have a look down again at the second half of verse 14. This is God speaking. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then see the similarities. Say, verse 15, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, who's done all these things, has sent me to you. You see the connection. that The Lord is saying, actually, these, these kind of things are really one and the same. And in fact, do you remember how... Um, the Hebrew word, haya, yeah, where that's I am comes from that word to be. Well, so does Yahweh. comes from that same word, haya. I am and Yahweh are these connected things. They, they come from the same word even, and they are connected in meaning. It's as if God is saying, look, my name is Yahweh. I am the God who was, who is, and will always be. I am that unfathomable, self-existent, transcendent one. I am Yahweh. That is who he is. And also, not only is he this transcendent one, but actually he's the Lord, Yahweh, the one who is personally connected to his people, who is actively present with them, who is promised the promise-keeping God. You see, that's what's highlighted in verse 15, isn't it? Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Yahweh is this committed to his people, God. Both transcendent, self-existent, all those things, and personally connected to his people. He's Yahweh, he's going to deliver his people. And that's what Moses is to tell the people. When you go back to them and they say, well, who sent me? Who sent you? You should say, I am sent me. Yahweh sent me. What a great comfort that is 
to Moses as he goes back, but to the people too hearing that. Who's going to deliver us out of the situation we're in? And who's going to take us across, not only away from the Egyptians, but then defeat all those other nations and live over there? I am. Yahweh will do. We began, didn't we, by considering who is God? Well, God reveals himself to Moses. He reveals himself as the rescuing God. He is I am, or who is Yahweh, that transcendent, self-existent, independent, other God who is yet personally committed to and faithful to his people. And as I've said numerous times, that this is the big theme of the book. This is what God is going to do through the rest of the book, is continue to reveal himself to continue to build up our picture of what it means that he is Yahweh. But of course, that's not just a big theme of Exodus, but, but of the Bible too. But what are, what are we to do with this? It's a revelation of who God is. Well, just one tiny and practical thing that I'm going to try and do, whether you think you should or not, you, you, and want to try and do. But, but the, the problem with translating the words... Yahweh as Lord, capital letters, is that we think of it more as a title than as a name. This is God's name. You might, perhaps in your, if you're in a very formal workplace and you're used to calling people sir or madam or mom or whatever you might do, and then they said, no, don't worry, call me Rich. Oh, you've kind of crossed a, a, a barrier, uh, crossed a barrier there, haven't you? Well, The Lord is not a title, it is his name. It is Yahweh. One commentator suggests that we should try and reverse engineer this, and I'm going to try and do it, so that when we read Lord, we should do the opposite of what the Hebrews did and translate Yahweh. This is God, his personal name that he's made known to us. The Lord has made himself known, he is Yahweh. But of course, the Lord has gone one step further than that to make himself known. He had a name. His name was Jesus. Just one account from Jesus' life, a particularly bad day of tensions with the religious leaders. Um, they, uh, Jesus said, said these amazing words. He says, let anyone who keeps my word will never see death. And the religious leaders accused him of being possessed by a demon. Because they were like, well, Abraham died. And Jesus said these amazing things. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And what the people did? They picked up stones and tried to kill him. Because they understood what, sadly, many people today don't. They understood here that Jesus was claiming equality with the God of the universe. That as God is Yahweh, he is I am, so Jesus is too. And indeed, in John 8, where you find this, it is written, ego eimi. You've got lots of language today. Uh, I am. That's the Greek words, and it's the same used way that um, Exodus 3 is translated. I am. If you want to get to know me, Sorry, if you want to get to know God, Jesus is saying, well, get to know me. 
Who is God? He is Yahweh. He is the great I am. That is me too. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're looking into Christian things, before you rule out God, make sure you actually look at who he is. Look at how he has revealed himself. He has made himself known. And no, we're not free to decide who God is. But that is also great news because it, it doesn't mean we have to go on some particular strange journey of discovery. He has revealed who he is. He's done so by giving us his name. He's shown us that he is that transcendent, other, independent God. And if you can grasp that, that doesn't make you a Christian, but you are heading in the right direction. But he's made himself known not only in this name, but in the person of Jesus. And so he is the place to look. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Maybe reading through John's Gospel would be a great start to do that. Where, in fact, Jesus has these number of I am statements showing who he is. That would be a great place for you. And if you want help doing that, please do come and speak to me. But if you are a Christian already, can we all continue to commit ourselves to getting to know God? We, we never say, I've got him. I'm now, I know him now. I'm sorted. We'll never get to that stage this side of eternity. Let's commit ourselves to getting to know him. If your quiet times have fallen aside a little bit, maybe you want to read through Exodus, parallel to what we're doing here. Again, if you want some help in thinking through how you could do that, either with Exodus or any other part of the Bible, I'd love to help you do that. Pick up a good Christian book. Again, if you want recommendations, glad to do it. Commit to getting to know our God. Because it's as we know him, that actually that helps with all manner of problems that we may face, as I described at the beginning. And finally, from where does my help come? Great, so I didn't give you much warning there, did I? But yeah, that, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. The Lord, this Lord. He is our help, the one that we look to. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are the I am who always was, who is, always will be, who's transcendent and above and self-existent, not needing us or anything. And yet we praise you that you are Yahweh who has chosen to reveal yourself to people, who is committed to those people, committed to rescue and deliver and to be faithful and to bring to the promised land. We praise you and ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.